0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of your favorite coastal advocacy show, The Sea Change Podcast. I am your host, Jenna Valente, and we are joined by a fantastic guest today. And let me tell you that as I sit here in Massachusetts, where the weather is currently hovering around three degrees and negative 17 with wind chill, that I am thrilled to take a little mental journey to transport myself and you all to a completely different region of the country, even if where we're going is not historically known for its tropical climate. Um, however, it is stunningly beautiful. Um, it's an amazing region of the country and I'm sure it's quite a bit warmer there today than what we have going on here Even if it's most likely overcast or raining at this time of year. Um, So today we're headed to Cannon Beach, Oregon with our brilliant local expert, Melissa Kaiser. Um, But before we jump into it, let's take care of some housekeeping and hear a message from our sponsors.
1: We'd like to thank our sponsor, Dune Doctors, a excellent, outstanding hub vendor, dune restoration company out of Pensacola, Florida led by the brilliant Frederick Barrasset's superb work from permitting design through construction on shoreline projects if you're in the business of managing property on the Gulf of Mexico or up the Atlantic seaboard dune doctors is a great company to reach out to find frederick and her team at dunedoctors.com dunedoctors.com TI Coastal Services in Wilmington, North Carolina, one of the great boutique-focused engineering companies that has very successfully implemented shoreline strategies up and down the eastern seaboard, smart, cost-conscious, great company, TI Coastal Services. You can find them at ticoastal.com.
0: Okay. And we are back and um, joined by a very special guest today. So Melissa is the program director of the Haystack Rock Awareness Program. And I recently just learned that she was appointed by Governor Kate Brown, I think this past summer, to serve on Oregon's Ocean Policy Advisory Council, which is a statewide marine policy advisory body that advocates for environmental conservation and coastal community interests, um, and she truly embodies what it means to be an environmental steward. So, Melissa, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining me today.
2: Thank you for having me, and it is quite lovely out here today. It's beautiful and sunny and just a little bit cloudy, not raining, probably in the 40s, low 50s. Oh, it's lovely outside,
0: Oh, I'm so jealous. I had one of those moments where, you, uh, and I was telling Tyler about this before we started recording. But um, you know, I had one of those moments where I was like, "I choose to live in this climate." While I was like chipping through inches of ice on my car, I actually broke my. Um, my ice scraper on the ice when I was trying to scrape off my car. <laughs> and I was like, you know, like whispering expletives to myself. But, um, you know, it's not always like that. And I do love this region of the country, but I would much prefer to be where you are today. <laughs> yeah.
2: It was, it was dumping like yesterday and the day before, but I still have my Birkenstocks on. So I feel you. I choose to live here, but I'm rebelling yes. a little bit. <laughs>
0: That's how I feel about iced coffee. Like I am one of those 24-7, 365 iced coffee drinkers, even in the depths of winter. Um, So that's like my mini rebellion against the wintertime, even though it's just making me colder. Exactly. Uh. (laughs) I feel that. Yeah. Uh, So I want to start out by giving the listeners an opportunity to get to know you a little bit better Um, So could you tell us a little bit about what your experience was like growing up and if you had any connection to the coast um, while you were growing up?
2: Yeah. So I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I try not to tell people this, but I was born in California. Um, (laughs) But uh, I moved to Oregon. Uh, My family moved to Oregon when I was about seven. And then I grew up in the Portland metro area. And we did, you know, take some vacations to the coast and experience the coast, but it was always that. It was um, the separate thing, you know, where you go out and you see the ocean, and that was sort of your experience with the ocean. You went and saw it, you went and did some stuff on the beach, and then you came home. Um, So in growing up, too, I um, was lucky to live in the kind of outskirts of the metro area, in this very rural area area growing up it is now it looks completely different um it's very much a suburban thriving metropolis now uh, which is great but when i grew up it was christmas tree farms and there were woods behind our house and We, um, my brother and I and my friends had a lot of time to explore and get dirty and get muddy, and I loved being outside. Um, So growing up, I sort of had this juxtaposition of living in that suburban rural area um, where the focus was very much, uh, what are you going to do for a living (laughs) right off the bat, right (laughs) off the bat in life? Um, Are you going to be a lawyer? Um, and the focus was sort of on this, um, monetary view of the world. But then I also had this very lovely, um, childhood and youth growing up in this area where I got to be outside. I got to be in nature and in high school, I had these opportunities to go outside and do some water quality testing and monitoring and those things were pivotal to me. Um, and also my mom. I was, you know, very focused on, you know, how, what we were going to do in life, Uh, but she gardened and she brought us outside and she let us be interested um, really in whatever we wanted to be interested in, but she encouraged that growth and that sort of natural, um, natural area for me specifically. So growing up, uh, again, I wasn't super connected with the ocean. It was more of a place to visit. Uh, but I was very interested in water um, ecology and natural ecology growing up. So when I went to college, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. I I wanted in that time to make a living and make a life for myself. That was my focus. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, yes. <laughs> but then I took my first. Um, I was also very into literature and liked writing, um, but but knew that wasn't necessarily the career path that would make that wealth happen. Um, But then (laughs) I took my first um, environmental literature class. It was sort of this bridge to this new arena of, I can study science and be really fulfilled. And it started opening my mind to, um, you know, what is the overall goal in life? And that's not just to make money. Um, It is important uh, for me personally, that I, I went to college and had an opportunity for education because that um, hadn't happened historically in my family, um, but to do something that I was passionate about and that I cared about was really important as well. So, uh, after that class, I changed my major and started studying environmental science, specifically with a focus on freshwater, and um, sort of through that process also ended up studying geography, uh, But ended up at the coast a lot, ended up in Astoria a lot, um, which wasn't too far from Portland where I was um, at, I was at U of O down in Eugene, then I switched to Portland State. um, And so I had all these opportunities to go to the coast and really fell in love with marine ecology and marine biology. Um, So when I finished college, uh, that was my strong focus, was really the aquatic um, and marine uh, worlds and and those sciences. And, um, so that's sort of where I ended up. And after I graduated, I, I worked to just make it happen. (laughs) It was definitely not making a (laughs) lot of money and there were other things happening in my life, but I ended up moving out to Astoria and, um, just volunteering anywhere that I could. And while I was applying to grad school, um, I ended up in, as an education coordinator for the program that I'm currently working for, and then quickly had the opportunity to move into the role of director, uh, which was very lucky, I'm not gonna lie. Um, (laughs) I did work very hard and I am very passionate about what I do um, and about the people that I work with because they give me so many tools, but uh, I was very lucky to be in the right place at the right time. Um, So I dropped out of grad school and a grad school dropout and um, decided to put all my energy into um, making this, making sure this program continued to flourish and investing my energy locally in different programs and nonprofits and statewide with OPAC. Um, And so that's where I am now.
0: I th- I think that um, – I know, and like in such a stunningly beautiful area too, but I think, you know, this common theme that I hear in conversations that I have with people working in this conservation space is that, um, you know, they just noticed that they had this interest in um, the environment, whether it's being outside or learning about the outside outdoors, um, and then just taking whatever steps – are available to mm-hmm. them and in front of them to explore that curiosity and learn more about it and then seize opportunities that are in front of them. So, you know, no one's path is ever super straight and you kind of like bounce around but end up... Um, you know, finding your way however you can right. um, and your path has led you to, you know, the amazing Cannon Beach. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you you definitely work really hard. And I think so much of career paths are, are realizing the opportunities that you have in front of you and timing really is everything because there are many moments in my own career um, where I've thought the same way, you know, um, where if I hadn't been working in that specific area at that specific time or if I hadn't had, you know, had a conversation with this person, um, you know, I wouldn't be where I am now. Um Yeah. And you know, I'm also one of those people that uh I always tell people that I'm from Maine, but I actually was born in Hawaii and moved all over the place. So <laughs> I can relate to you um on that too, where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm I'm a Mainer and then like a little voice inside is like, are you? <laughs> like, but but are you? Yeah, um, yeah. And I did. Uh, we spent a few years living in Vancouver, Washington. Um, so I also like to say that I feel like I'm in a very small subset of people that have lived in both the or- the Portland's. In the U.S.
2: Vancouver is, kind of is basically fact. Portland, let's be honest.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah especially extension. now. And you got me thinking about it when you were saying that, you know, how it, you've just seen how everything has grown mm-hmm. um, over time. I feel like Portland and Vancouver sort of just like merging mm-hmm. into one super trendy urban area. Right. <laughs> it
2: really is. <laughs> it is amazing yeah. how all those little pivotal moments add up and direct you to a specific place and if you take those opportunities it feels so right and so good that sounds so corny but it feels so fulfilling um making those little decisions and seeing those little opportunities that sincerely resonate um and then following them it's it's really fantastic so yeah you are correct yeah (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) Um, so what inspires you about the ocean? I know that, you know, you're, you've mentioned that for a while it was, you know, visiting and, um, then you've slowly been drawn a little bit closer and closer to it. And now you find yourself in a space where you're regularly working, um, right on the beach. Um, so what is it that inspires you about the ocean and and that drives you to wake up every day and dedicate your time to environmental stewardship and education?
2: Well, I I feel like, and I, I, I've i talked to a lot of people that feel this way too, but I've always been drawn to the water. Um, I've always been a water baby. I've always wanted to be in the water, touching the water, seeing the water, smelling the water, um any kind of water and then to be inspired by the ocean. Um, the ocean, there's so much that we don't know. I am um, continually growing um, as we all are in our knowledge, but I'm, I'm continually learning something new about some specific species or, or marine mammal or invertebrate um, that I didn't know, or that we we thought we knew something about it, and then it turns out it's much more complex, or it's much more simple, and and those things are so fascinating to me. Um, my son, he's ten and he wants to be an astrophysicist when he grows up he's he's known since he was <laughs> good three. for him that's just, yeah
0: that's amazing
2: my daughter wants to be a cat so i feel very balanced in life <laughs> yeah um still, no ninja she's ninja warrior now she's mostly wants to be ninja warrior. oh
0: yeah um, so she's like the creative one <laughs> yeah. that you know will definitely be so, like some sort of artist she paints
2: and, and is left handed yeah, yeah she's all the creative but he, and then your son will
0: be the next neil de Grass Tyson, <laughs> he
2: loves him, um, yes. but he is so fascinated by the unknown, um, by the opportunity to learn, um, to discover, um, and to to learn about new elements, possibly or or new complexities in space. And for me, we have this continual conversation. Uh, for me, it's so fascinating that there's just as much that we can learn almost about the deep sea and the ocean and the animals in the ocean. Um, and even like beach grass, (laughs) there's so many new things we're learning about beach grass. Um, we have this new hybrid beach grass that we're just learning and identifying here on the Oregon coast. Um, but he thinks it's equally as fascinating too, that, um, where, where his depth and his, his understanding wants to grow into space that mine wants to grow into the ocean. And he's like, we've got it all covered. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) You guys are a dream team. Yeah. Yeah. But I know that's sort of like the, the two, uh, areas of, you know, that you can study going into either like space or the ocean. It's perfect for the lifelong learners among us because we just, there's so much for us to know. And, you know, like you were saying, and, and work on developing even our own understanding of what we think we know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just endless amounts of knowledge and discoveries to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's amazing that your son okay. is so focused and driven on that at such a young age, because I think I would relate a little bit more to your daughter who wanted to be a cat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then slowly figured out that I wanted to go into the world of conservation because that was probably much easier than transforming into a feline right
2: another (laughs) she's five and another (laughs) five-year-old I never thought about this before and this is totally digressing but the five-year-old the other day asked me I told her that Juno wanted to be a cat and she goes well, how's she going to do that? <laughs> I
0: was like, I don't
2: know. She'll figure it out. I'm not sure. Yeah. I haven't thought about that part, but she's going to make yeah. it happen. It was so serious. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so those are those like priceless
0: questions that, that kids ask, and you know, you think you're able to answer so many. So many questions because you're like, I'm older than you, you know, I've lived so much longer and then they ask questions like that and you start going into like some sort of existential crisis where you're like, I don't, I don't know how she's going to become a cat.
2: <laughs> I don't, but it, it will happen if she wants it to. Um, anyway, so yes, yeah, so this, yeah, going back to what we are talking about, it's, um, I've always had this sort of love and have been inspired by water and um, oh gosh, I'm sorry. There's background noise, but that's um, <laughs> okay. No worries. But we've got a working office and I have no walls. So
0: <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I think this. that's like the world of podcasting yeah. is that sounds happen. We live in a noisy world <laughs> and you know, we just <laughs> keep, keep moving forward.
2: Exactly. <laughs> um, so just being deeply inspired even more so by the ocean and the opportunity to continually grow, because that is really um, my goal as a human is to always be growing and always be learning. And the one thing that I know personally is that truly I know nothing. Um, And I love moving forward with that. I mean, obviously there's truths that we all have, but um, just knowing that I can always learn more or I can always learn something new or I can always see it from a different perspective. I feel like I've had the opportunity through the ocean <laughs> in a very interesting way um, in meeting people who um, are like-minded and passionate about the ocean, um, about learning more about the ocean, about conserving um, those elements of the ocean. I hate saying resources because it's not just a resource.
0: Um mm-hmm.
2: Of course it is as humans, but um, just knowing that knowledge in the ocean. So um, through different volunteer work and opportunities and school that I've had, um, getting to know others that are passionate about learning and growing and inspiring others to do more work to protect this resource and this place, um, this part of our earth that we have been destroying um, for many, many years and decades now. Um, has been really inspiring to me so I've um, in choosing to work for this program um, and then having the opportunity to grow in this program and direct a program um, and give others the tools to learn and grow and continue that inspiration um, has been transformative for me Um, and and something that I want to do forever so I can't imagine working in any other field, um, at this point in my life, because there's so much to do. <laughs> I was, so there much really is do. so much
0: to do. There's <laughs> no shortage of, of tasks and it's, it's total job security, mm-hmm. um, working in this space. That's for sure. And I think that, you know, I really appreciate that you brought up the, um, the you know just thinking because this is something that I I tell myself too and I think it's really the first step in truly um, going on like a journey to learn and be curious and grow is admitting that you don't know anything um, and you know like yeah. and I don't want that to come off wrong to I listeners know, but sense. like like. <laughs> Because, like, that's something that I I definitely tell myself is, like, understanding my own limitations. And even if I think I know something, I could be completely incorrect in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so just continuing to be curious and yeah. um, ask questions and then admit that I don't know something, right. um, you know, I think can be a really big step for people to take and um, be – it's a – I consider it a strength, um, you know, to just – come to terms with your own knowledge limitations mm-hmm. so then you can continue to to grow from there. Yeah. Um, so you have lived in the Pacific Northwest now for quite some time, yeah. as you've mentioned. How has living in that region um, impacted your perspective on the world and on ocean health and conservation?
2: Um, I think living in this area specifically, so living, I live just south of Cannon Beach right now, um, living in it every day, you're seeing those coastal changes, you're seeing those uh, changes in your rocky shores, um, and it's illuminating, it's, um, you're strengthening your knowledge because you do have knowledge to provide for other people. And we all are educators in any way we choose. We're educating other people with our knowledge, our wisdom, our experience. Um, So living here, living and breathing it um, and touching it and seeing it and feeling it every day um, has really allowed that passion that I was talking about to bloom. And it, it makes me um truly not want to live anywhere else um and to be hyper focused on this area um sort of as a microcosm for the entire ocean if i can bring some focus here about the changes that are happening locally and visitors that come back every year and and potentially see those changes as well um, and then tell them about my experience um as a local um if i can if i can open their eyes a little bit and get them to either participate or change their mindsets or change their way of um, consuming in this life, then I feel like my, my life is meaningful. Um, and so living here is really very important to me. And I've been I've been um, I haven't had the opportunity to travel as much as I want, um, but definitely traveling you know, to Alaska or to Hawaii um, or sort of within the United States. This is my favorite place to be. <laughs> I love coming home and I've never um, I've loved going other places, but but I've never found a place that inspires me as much or speaks to me as much. And I think it is because there's this wealth of diversity here and these beautiful landscapes, but it is changing. And I want people to know how it's changing. And I want to have the knowledge of how many sea stars are on that specific rock so I can give them Mm -hmm. in-depth information of how those animals are changing and how we are impacting them. Um, so for me, again, I love coming home with new knowledge and experiencing different things, but coming here and having this very deep understanding of um, our local ecology is is really, really beautiful and fulfilling.
0: Yeah, and I think that is so impactful to live where you work especially Mm -hmm. when you're in the conservation field Mm -hmm. because you you're exactly right you're seeing how things are changing over the years Um, you know it's almost like your own um, experiment you know Mm -hmm. where every year is its own like data point um, where you have your own observations that you've lived through and then can communicate that to others that come to visit Um, and I totally relate to you on your total like love for the Pacific Northwest. Um because I, as I mentioned I lived there for I only lived there for 3 years of my life, but the way that that area shaped me as a human is something that will last forever and the deep love that I have for that place is like, I can't, I'm i having a hard time putting it into words. Um, mm-hmm. But when we left, I was, like, devastated. And now I'm in a place where I feel like in the back of my mind I'm always, like, trying to get back there. Mm-hmm. Because there's something about it that I think you did a way better job of describing just how visually stunning the area is, the energy of – you know, I don't know if it's something in the air or just the people that are there. It's just this incredible mixture of in terms of what I'm interested in. It's like it has everything I could ever want. Yep. Um, And I can see how you could, you know, move there and be like, this is it. This is where I'm staying. And this is something that I value so much that I'm going to dedicate my life to protecting it.
2: Yeah, and I've um, I've met authors, I've met just through our volunteers, um, educators, authors, doctors who feel the same way and keep coming back, and and it is hard to quantify it in words. Um, it's a feeling. Uh, it's this feeling you get when you see the title change. It's this feeling you get um, when you go to the beach and there's it, it the the sand. Um, is dropped 12 feet and the whole landscape looks different, but it's, mm-hmm. it's the exact same rock that you've seen before or all of the birds are nesting. There's just, it, there's something so special about Yeah. This and then you area. drive
0: like a few hours in a different direction and it's yep. like giant mountains are yes. <laughs> seemingly coming out of nowhere. Yep, exactly. It's so stunning. Yep. Um, So now I want to pivot a little bit mm-hmm. to learning more about your career path. Um, could you walk us through what some of the major turning points or formative moments were for you in your career?
2: Oh, yes. Um, So I think in my career, um, these are interesting things, but they're very human things. So I will include them nonetheless. Um, When I was in college, I got I, I was um, pregnant very young. I was 20 Mm -hmm. when I was a junior. And um, that was a big life shock in reality and um, mental change. (laughs) It was a choice to change mentally Mm -hmm. and grow mentally. But um, that was when I really needed um, personally to solidify where I was going to be going. With my career and what I wanted to do and um, having my son Olin um, really it really changed my mindset of um, what I was valuing and I was already sort of on that path but um, once I had him I realized I needed to do something that I was deeply passionate about and And for him to know that moving forward in life, he should be deeply passionate about what he wanted to do with his life as well. Because for me, I don't see what I do it is a job, and I do expect monetary gain from it. Um, <laughs> I like eating and having a roof over yes. my head.
0: Those it like is always a perk, yeah. <laughs>
2: um, However, I need to be inspired by the work that I do, and I need to know that what I'm doing is good and positive, and it's good for other people that I work with, that volunteer um, with me, or along that I volunteer alongside um, as well. And so. Um, I, I really became focused in sort of environmental conservation, um, environmental science, environmental education after I had him. And, um, and, and it, life became a little bit easier once I let uh, the concept of I need to make a dollar or how much I need mm-hmm. to make or um, it also just sort of flowed naturally too. Um, of course, our yeah. heater just kicked on in the background, so that's going to be fun. Um, <laughs> we have like a thousand year old heater in our building. <laughs> anyway, um, so so making that decision and moving forward with that just really felt right. It really resonated. And then um, when I graduated, it was 2010 and I applied for over 200 jobs in the Portland metro area. Uh, in the field that I wanted to and (laughs) got none of them.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. uh,
2: At the time, that was really difficult for me, um, obviously. And, you know, I realized I It was just a very difficult time for everyone applying for jobs um, Mm -hmm. in the economy. And it was just a difficult time for many people. Uh, So I knew it wasn't just me, um, but I knew I needed to do some things, make some choices to grow um, professionally, uh, to add to my repertoire, my resume, um, to be able to find a job that uh, really spoke to me. So I started volunteering a lot uh, in the Portland area, um, just like Friends of Trees or any environmental organization solved that really spoke to me. Um, And uh, around that time, I also found out I had multiple sclerosis. So it was a very, um, right after I graduated, uh, I was was very limited um, physically. Uh, at that time, I wasn't on treatment yet, and um, I, my partner and I at the time also really wanted to move to the coast. So we sort of just, we sold our house, <laughs> broke even, <laughs> and <laughs> moved to the coast, and um, had some odd jobs. And, like I was doing online marketing for environmental organizations and whatever I could find, but also volunteering really heavy, heavily with organizations like Surfrider, um, locally in different schools, um, different scientific organizations like Coast, um, Coast Watch, um, and getting involved with those organizations. I can't speak (laughs) to how pivotal that was for me professionally and personally, and it's how I really... Um, encourage anyone who volunteers for our program that's, you know, entering that sort of career job path type of field, be it college or graduating from college to volunteer. That's where you're going to find, you're going to find your experience. um, You're going to find a lot of knowledge. You're going to find a lot of knowledgeable people and you're going to be able to uh, find a lot of potential jobs. (laughs) Um, And so through I also started volunteering with our program, and quickly a job as education coordinator came up. So I started working as education coordinator. Um, then again moved into my position. Um, but I would say one of the most interestingly pivotal pivotal role or um, times in my career was when um, someone I work with, and I, I don't think I've ever told him this, and he probably. I don't know if he'll listen to this podcast, but, um, the, uh, (laughs) Charlie Plybin, he works for Surfrider.
0: Oh, yes. I know him. We, we work with him through Healthy Oceans Coalition. Yeah. He, um, he's, he's fantastic. He's so
2: fantastic. He's, he's probably one of the most direct people. Um, one of them that I've worked with. I work with a few very direct people who I really (laughs) appreciate actually. Yeah. Um, because they'll just lay it out and make you think, um, I, I had, even while I was working, um, I felt like I needed to continue to grow because I hadn't finished my um, graduate degree. And so I was volunteering for a number of different organizations on boards with Oregon Coastal Ocean Information Networks, just all these different places. Um, I'm the president for Northwest Aquatic and Marine Educators, and those things are for me to grow and me to give back. Um, mm-hmm. But we were at this meeting <laughs> and and um, for this um O-Coin, it's called it's ocean information network um uh, board that, or organization sort of not an organization that we had just got on like feet on the ground about a year ago or a couple years ago and he asked me he's like why are you here and why do you care <laughs> <laughs> and i was just like oh my god i you know and I believe I said, um, because I want to make a difference. And I think he said, well, is that enough? <laughs> and it just made me question everything that I was doing, but in a really beautiful way. Um, yeah. You know, why am I here? Um, and I hadn't taken the time to do that. Uh, I just Yeah, kind and of- I
0: don't think a lot of people do. <laughs> and I think that's important yeah. to sit down and check in with yourself yeah. and the root of your passion and drive.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and in and, and my answer is still that I want to make a difference. I want to protect the ocean, um, and, and that can be the answer, and that's okay, too. But knowing why um, personally is really important, and I had just kind of been given a lot of interesting uh, things in life and opportunities, but have just been, you know, moving like an American from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, mm-hmm. trying to make it work, trying to make sure it's financially stable, trying to make sure my child was taken care of, trying to make sure my health was taken care of. And I had never taken the time to ask, you know, oh yeah, why do you care right now? You know, why does this matter? Um, mm-hmm. Why do you want to make a difference? And um, for me, it inspired a whole new type of growth, which was, because I love what I do. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. because this isn't just a job for me. I can I I could choose to work in any field. I could mm-hmm. choose to work in a different capacity, but I choose to be here right now um, with the people that I work with because we do care and we want to see positive changes, not just in the ocean, but in the world. Um of course our focus is the ocean because we love it so much, but Ultimately, it's it's to strive to get others to care um, about things that are meaningful in life, to have a positive life, and so that was a very transformative
0: moment. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. We <laughs> all need a Charlie in our life, and I, I think that'll be yeah, that'll be a great uh, exercise for our listeners to try. Is you know think about what you're doing in your career, or if you are in school or retired, and think about why are you doing what you do? And, you know, yeah? how, you know, like it, what, get to the root of like, what is that inspiration? Yeah, you and you is it enough? Yeah. <laughs> why do you care? Why do
2: you care? <laughs> and I was just so, it was so just like out of the blue. And I think we we're leaving too. And I was just like, Oh my God. about this. But my first, like my knee jerk reaction was, you know, very much from my soul. And um, it was, I, I had to think about it. Like, was is that mm-hmm. what I meant? And uh, it was, and that was cool too. So it's neat.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I, I think something else that I really admire about you is your mentality and mindset when you come up against difficult times in your life is um, something that I feel like I try to work day in and day out to do is that you know, you can't control what happens to you Mm -hmm. for the most part, but you can control how you react to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seems to me that when you come against hurdles and challenges, you think about how do I turn this into a positive? You know, what am I learning from this? How am I growing? And what steps do I need to take to continue, um, you know, making money and being employed? Or I, I see a goal at the end of this tunnel. What steps do I need to take to get there? Um, And I think that is a very productive way of thinking Mm -hmm. um, that not everybody is really like able to do, or it doesn't come naturally to everyone. Um, So that's definitely something that I, I hear and see as a strong point in you.
1: Thank you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. It's, it, it's, it's that additional step of making sure are you genuinely happy um, are you going to bring joy to others? Are you doing something that's positive? And that, for me, is the biggest part. Um, yeah. It's interesting, yeah. this life.
0: <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> it hurdles. It certainly is, yeah. <laughs> um, so now working out on Cannon Beach has mm-hmm. got to be a special experience. experience. I mean, um, talk about a work park is getting mm-hmm. to be out there. Um, I don't know if you're out there every day or as <laughs> frequent, however frequently you go out on the beach. Um, I mean, it's like, it's, I think it's the most photographed beach in Oregon. And it I might even venture to say that it might be one of the most photographed beaches in the world. I, I feel like most people listening to this can picture exactly what Cannon Beach looks like with the haste, like that, you know, giant iconic haystack rock jetting out of this, like just seemingly out of nowhere um, and surrounded by this like vast, flat, sandy beach. And then, you know, along the border of it, the deep green of the forest, it's just so beautiful um, that I can imagine that it never gets old and it probably looks different, you know, every single day. It's like a new piece of artwork. Um, And each season probably brings something special um, and because of all of that, I am wondering what are some of the most memorable, moment, memorable moments? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just tripping over my tongue there. Um, the, <laughs> that you've had out on Cannon Beach? Oh, so many!
2: So it is. It is just exactly how you described um, the the geography in the area. The the ge- like even just the sand. The the changes in the sand every year, um, seeing the changes in the rock every year, you know, uh, geologists estimate in a thousand to two thousand years max the rock won't be there anymore. We have these no. massive rock falls, you know, we won't be around. So it's okay.
0: I know, but
2: it is a little sad, <laughs> right? It is a little sad. Um, Unless
0: you believe in reincarnation <laughs> and then it'll be another it'll be version mine. of myself. That's just sad.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But the rock and there's these, the two needles, you know, the needle and the haystack. Yeah. Um, they used to be connected in one even larger formation. And then before that, it used to be connected to the headlands and um, And so just these beautiful changes uh, that we've seen. But for me, um, some of the most interesting things um, that I've seen, I think the first one would be when we had a, and now I can't even remember if it was a gray whale or a humpback whale. It was a juvenile. um, And I wanna say it was a juvenile humpback whale washed in and this was actually up in seaside (laughs) so it's a little different but seaside is just north Mm -hmm. of here um about 10 miles and seeing those animals i mean we see them pass by you know twice a year um and we have some resident resident gray whales down in depot bay just uh maybe 40 miles south of here 50 miles south of here but um Seeing those amazing, majestic, intelligent animals pass by every year, but then seeing one on the beach, um, it was both horrible and beautiful, getting to touch it and see it and it made it so much more real. I've never, you know, been that close to a whale or um, different marine mammals, yes, but never that large of a whale. Even being a juvenile, is probably a good oh, 50 feet, 40 feet. Long, wow. um, and then knowing that potentially our actions were what caused it to die, um, was equally as devastating and mm-hmm. but like morbidly curious, you know, inspired this like morbid curiosity as well, um, to yeah, learn more. Yeah, like it's one of
0: those <laughs> yeah. moments where you break down that wall that we've put up and constructed between humans and the rest of our natural world mm-hmm. where we see ourselves as separate mm-hmm. and not connected to it. Yes. Um. So when you get a moment to breach that barrier and interact with, you know, a whale or any other type of creature aspect or element of our natural environment that makes it clear that mm-hmm. we're all connected. And especially if we were the ones that caused that whale's demise.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And it, it also brought my focus um, to a different point. I am um, normally so focused on invertebrates and seabirds and things that are very much on our shoreline or in the rocky inner tidal, um, as opposed to more of the deep sea, uh, is what my professional focus is. Um, more of that rocky inner tidal. And so seeing that animal. Uh, reminded me that there's, oh, marine mammals, pinnipeds, like
0: mm-hmm. there's,
2: there's also so much more we could be doing through our program to um, educate others, to educate ourselves. Um, and so we've taken some time um through our program to provide educational materials and make sure we have material about marine mammals and that we're taking time every year to learn a bit more about marine mammals and in sort of any capacity um for be it you know whale or whale spoken here is that what it's called oh my goodness I just forgot what the program's called through state parks um but different opportunities that we can take um that was sort of enlightening in its own way. Um, yeah. And then
0: you you took that impactful moment and then it used it as inspiration to, you know, spread message messaging about these issues and help the community gain awareness about what are the other creatures that are living out there that we don't necessarily get to see Exactly. Um, because they're a little bit farther offshore.
2: Yeah. And then just making sure we were partnering with the Marine Mammal Stranding Network in our area and with educators at Portland State who are studying those animals and at Seaside Aquarium and um, those type of connections, making sure our program was um, connected in a way that we were ready to respond or to understand or to provide education once that scientific research, essentially, once a necropsy was completed, um, by scientists, that we could disperse that information and talk about it with visitors, so, yeah, that was very, very, and that happened pretty early on when I started, um, and then, (laughs) I think one of my favorite moments, too, personally, was, um, my favorite invertebrate species, don't tell the other invertebrates, okay? Because um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not supposed to have a favorite. Um, of course, <laughs> our nudibranchs, or nudibranchs, and um, the alabaster nudibranch uh, is one of my favorites, <laughs> and I never found it myself. Um, my All of my staff members, all of my coworkers, uh, volunteers, just so many people have found this nudibranch, and I hadn't found it on my own. And I think maybe about three years ago I was out near the needles and there was nobody else out. It was probably five thirty, six in the morning, super negative low tide, and I found like three. And I just oh lived God. in that moment. I just sat in that <laughs> tide pool that's amazing and just like was in awe of my own life. <laughs> <laughs> My own life
0: choices. You're like, yeah. <laughs> like, You're like well, this whatever. moment is just for me. Exactly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and it was just so lovely. And they're so beautiful and eerie and lovely. They're yeah. Like, they are white. a really
0: beautiful creature. And something yeah. you might appreciate is um, I play trivia every now and then here in Boston. Mm-hmm. And um, our team name is send new to <laughs> That's
2: that's basically and that's our name. Like <laughs> yeah.
0: No one gets it uh-huh. because you know yeah. we're not playing with a bunch of ocean nerds. Exactly. But that's like that's another moment that's just for us.
2: <laughs> yep. The uh, the Oregon Coast Aquarium <laughs> did something on New and. They use the hashtag send new to Bronx and we've been using (laughs) it ever since. Like how.
0: Yeah. It's like, why uh, not jump on that social media trend if it's going to get people paying attention to your message.
2: We hosted our first nudie safari last year. It was great. We were fully clothed,
0: <laughs> but you get people that don't understand. Maybe they misunderstood. <laughs> That's awkward. We
2: had the brank in parentheses, but still, <laughs> it yeah. oh, was beautiful. And then yeah, um... you gotta have fun
0: with it when you can. <laughs>
2: exactly. And then one more really, really important moment to me was and this is a very human thing, but this is the last one I promise is. No, um... I
0: love that because I, the whole point of this show is really to humanize coastal advocacy. So I yeah. love wading into the, the human, like deep end <laughs> yeah. of the human side of it.
2: Um, My, oh, my favorite thing um, is seeing the growth of our trash talk program. We have this uh Program within our program called Trash Talk, uh, where we talk about marine debris and talk about trash. And um, the Scal Puka, she had started out uh, Puka Rice as a volunteer and participated in our marine debris surveys, um, which we we conduct through Coast Watch in Oregon um, or Oregon Shores, and then report to NOAA. but she was like, why are you just throwing this in the trash, though? Like, is that better? Mm-hmm. Which it is better. It's better um, than these marine debris um, being in the ocean, um, ending up in mm-hmm. the ocean systems. Um But she had a point (laughs) and it it made us, you know, question a lot of things and and realize just how much plastic we had on our beaches. And so we quickly got involved with Sea Turtles Forever, doing microplastic um, filtration and sifting. They're a fantastic local organization um, that works all around the world to remove microplastics from the beach and protect sea turtles. And um, then Puka was like, why don't we try and, you know, make a statement with these, with, like, our our trash, like, could we make some art, and um, Oregon Shores makes, um, I think it's Oregon Shores, no, no, uh, what's it called, the one that makes the amazing sculptures down in Bandon, Um, there's too many names, I'll think of it eventually. Once I think of it, I'll say it. But they make these amazing sculptures and she was like, how can we inspire people in other ways? Um, How can we inspire the consumer? Mm -hmm. Uh, People love to take trinkets home from Cannon Beach. They love to buy sand buckets and little toys to play with on the beach. And then they leave them there. Um, They get pulled out into the ocean really quickly. There's a, there's a lot of other marine debris on our beach, but um, we see a lot of kind of toys type of debris as well um and so she started encasing these marine debris um in resin um we're using plant-based resin now which is awesome so not more petroleum going into the environment nice nice but um we she had these little lego molds and we went over to her house got got pretty drunk on wine and just started experimenting (laughs) with how we could put trash and molds and fill it with resin and See if we could make like jewelry or pins. And it grew into this amazing program where we have these pins, we have magnets, she makes art, she makes, we get old windows donated by um, people locally on the North Coast. And um, she makes these beautiful pieces of art that we donate to schools and educational programs and nonprofits. And um, we have people from all over the place asking her um, about how they can participate. And so, um, that very like human, the human impact, mm-hmm. and then seeing this person um, grow within our organization and inspire so many other people uh, through something that started as kind of like a simple, hey, we'll see how it works out, and um, her love of art and ecology coming together to inspire so many people is really beautiful. And she's also she was she started working as our grant writer too because she's a technical writer and wrote a grant to get beach wheelchairs on our beaches because that was very important to myself. That's amazing. Um, Yeah. Being uh, immobile for a, it was a very short part of my life. I'm very lucky to be on some awesome drugs for multiple sclerosis, but, (laughs) um, but understanding how difficult it is when you're limited physically to get to these beautiful places and not having access um, she wrote a grant and um, a lot of people donated locally, large hoteliers, um, uh, different private individuals donated money so that we have two beach wheelchairs now. And, and just this one person was able to come in with some drive, some new energy, a few new ideas and make things happen, um, you know, with the support and help of a team. Um, but seeing that one person and then so many people be inspired by her. Uh, it's really, really, really special and cool, and I love seeing things <laughs> like that. I, love I it. do
0: too. And just seeing when you have a team of people that all come together and play off of each other's strengths mm-hmm. um, and support each other in their growth, um, and then on a personal level, I really love seeing when people use um, more. They take like a creative approach to pairing art and conservation. Um, to bring in new audiences and connect with different groups of people, um, and show different ways that we can recycle or, uh, Mm -hmm. keep marine debris out of the water, um, is amazing. So hats off to you guys for sure. Um,
2: that group, by the way, is called wash to shore,
0: (laughs) wash to shore. Shout out to them. Yeah. Um, so wait, so what are some of the other initiatives that you guys work on I almost called you Hrap, trap but then I because <laughs> no, you guys do I'm you refer to yourself me, as a trap but then mm-hmm. I try to be clearer for listeners that so yeah. Hrap trap is the haystack rock awareness program yep. um <laughs> but yeah so what are what are some of the other initiatives that you guys work on
2: so um like taking a step back we're funded through the city of cannon beach and um So our base funding essentially for our program for the Haystack Rock Awareness Program is through the city of Cannon Beach. Um, But then a lot of our additional programming or free educational programs are funded essentially through donations made to our program. Um, But uh, being funded through a a municipality has uh, these interesting benefits being funded through uh, a city who values the local ecology who values inclusivity, um, being able to incorporate those elements into our program is a very unique and special thing. Um, it's not always easy. It's, it's interesting working as a sort of government entity and then partnering Mm -hmm. with other government entities. Um, so we, our main focus is our beach program, having interpreters on the beach nine months of the year. That is what our program does. That is our core foundation is to protect the rock and the ecology and sea life on and around the rock through education. Um, that is our mission, right? And so having these naturalists on the beach is our main focus. Um, and they are wonderful. And we have a staff of about 10 Seasonal nine month of the year interpreters who this vast wealth of knowledge. One of them was the state biologist for Alaska for 30 years. Wow. Um, just and he's retired and he loves what he does. Um, and then we have about 200 volunteers from all over the country. Um, I think maybe a few from Canada as well, volunteering for our program being on the beach. Um, so that's our main goal. But then, um, as a city entity, if we see something where um, because we're an educational organization, um, we saw this need uh, for, for kids and adults, anyone of any age, honestly, to be able to access the beach. We provide field trips to normally anywhere from three to 5,000 students annually, um, sort of private guided field trips, which are free. Um, funded through essentially donations but also through the city Um, but a lot of times students can't make it down because they are handicapped in some way and so that's where we decided um, it was our obligation it was important to us to see it through uh, this concept of having a beach wheelchair it wasn't our necessarily idea Um, it was the community's idea and we just wanted to make sure it happened and we had the opportunity because we are a city program um, that we could fund that opportunity or make sure we acquired funding by having Puka write a grant or, or, you know, find funding through community members that were interested um, to execute this program. And then we're providing a service for visitors, but more importantly, we're providing this opportunity for education. So we're meeting our mission in this very interesting way where you know, our, our goal is to educate other humans, um, Mm -hmm. about, um, this biodiversity and so they can access it. And we have had, you know, over 400 wheelchair checkouts in the first year, I believe.
0: That's amazing. Um,
2: And it is amazing. (laughs) So it ended up sort of being its whole own program within our program. So we have a few coordinators, um, we have Andrea, who manages our inclusivity programs, uh, which is the beach wheelchair program, and then also our bilingual interpretation program. So we have visitors from all over the world, and Andrea is um, fluent in Spanish. She's Puerto Rican and um, translates many of our signs into Spanish um, because that's our, our our sort of number one language barrier. That's our they'll be come across when visitors are at the beach. I think German is number two. <laughs> <for> <laughs> we have a lot of German visitors. Uh, we've had a number of people in our staff that spoke German too, which is kind of cool. Wow, that
0: is really um, cool. I would have guessed like Chinese, yeah. <laughs> you know.
2: Yeah. Yes, exactly. Chinese. But it's amazing how many Chinese people – people speak English that's um, true it's it, it can be broken but it's very they understand very much yeah. of the signage and they can ask very pointing questions to understand so um, when we see a barrier um, we have these opportunities to help um, other people visitors overcome it and and have those amazing educational experiences and opportunities that we all don't intentionally take for granted, but that we all have. Um, So that's one of our programs. And then we have our outreach program, uh, which is our trash talk program, um, which is part of what we do. And again, meeting our mission through education, um, educating others about the marine debris that's on the beach. When people come here, they're very disturbed um, at different points in the year. There's a kind of a seasonality to the marine debris coming in. Right now is one of those times with all of the storms, Um, we have just a ton of marine debris on our beaches and people want something done about it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) we want to give them the knowledge, um, of, you know, where to like exactly where to start. Where's ground. Yeah. It's not just like, let's stop it at the source. Yes, exactly. It's, it's going back to what can you do as an individual? Are you looking at the way you consume the way you, what you consider trash, the way you. Recycle the way you throw things out, how you take care of things. Um, so, Puka is very instrumental in that type of program. She also is doing all of our grant writing and fundraising efforts. Uh, <laughs> Jack of all, Jill of all trades. Um, and then, of course, our education and volunteer coordinator, Lisa. She's worked with the program forever. Um, I think this is her 17th year. Last year, we had a sweet 16 birthday party for her. Um, (laughs) And she also started out as a volunteer and then worked as an interpreter, then a lead and then our volunteer coordinator. And now she's, Um, managing all of our education and volunteer programs. And I'm pretty sure she knows every volunteer by first and last name, probably knows their birthday. She's just incredible at what she does. She's so And that makes a huge
0: difference when you are running a program like that, when you can actually find somebody to lead those efforts that has Mm -hmm. a genuine care and interest in the people that they work with. Um, Right. You know, I think I don't know how you would track this, but I feel like their return rate for volunteers is Mm -hmm. so reliant on how valued they feel. Yes, Mm -hmm. I
2: agree. And that takes so much effort um, as a human. And she just naturally cares so deeply about the people that volunteer here and the people she works with. But um, it's just lovely to see because she truly deeply cares about others. Um, and they see how much she cares and is passionate about this environment. Um, and then we also have our, um, communications coordinator, Kari, who, um, does all of our like social media and which is very important and valuable. She just, Mm -hmm. you know, put out a post on the moon jellies that washed up and we had, you know, CNN calling to ask us if we could use her photos and all these interesting things. But, um, she she really understands how to communicate to others things that um, are not only interesting and important, but will draw them in and get them to care or take a second look and be like, oh, why is that happening? Is that something seasonal? Is that something we should be concerned about? And then she has the knowledge um, to give them to let them know or to answer any of those questions. But she also manages all of our citizen science programs. We coordinate... Um, we participate and help coordinate um, dates essentially for 11 different citizen science programs, partnering with the Audubon Society of Portland, partnering with coasts, partnering kind of nationally and locally with different efforts. And she, she's very passionate um, about that scientific knowledge as we all are, because we wanna be able to answer those questions on our beaches. How many birds washed in? Why are those birds washing in? How many sea stars are there? Um, you know, what kind of animals are here at the coast, uh, that citizen science gives us that amazing knowledge. We weren't, uh, we didn't necessarily have the capacity to participate in those programs before but now we do and we can help coordinate the effort locally mm-hmm. um, to give people a chance to either see if they're interested um, in citizen science or you know to grow their knowledge and anyone can participate which is really cool so those are sort of primary those are programs within our program <laughs> it's like Beach wheelchairs, um, beach <laughs> so many science, important things. Chaos. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: So crazy. I, I heard you mention one of your citizen science programs is, mm-hmm. you know, looking at what kinds of animals and wildlife live on the beach. Can you give us some examples of what some of the most commonly seen ones are?
2: Um, so living on the beach, um, You know, one of the citizen science programs that we uh, participate in is our black oyster catcher survey, and you'll see black oyster catchers all year round, which is really fantastic. And they're this fantastic um, indicator species, so indicative, essentially, like their health is indicative of the overall health of the environment. You can kind of see it that way. Um, so monitoring them and seeing what they're doing, if they're successful in nesting each year, um, those are really relating back to us. Is this a healthy ocean ecosystem? Um, setting sea stars, you'll see sea stars year round, but, um, you know, sea star wasting this massive wasting die off event happened. Um, let's see how many years ago, five years ago now. I remember reading about
0: that in the paper.
2: Yeah, and we had a almost, you know, over 90% species mortality and our site still hasn't recovered, um, which is very interesting. I mean, we have a high amount of visitors, probably one of the highest visitation rates of any other um, area on the Oregon coast.
0: How many visitors do you know off the top of your head about how many you get each year?
2: we, so we um, do daily, probably hard to
0: track, but
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, we do daily visitor counts and we have over about, we normally have about a thousand or a hundred thousand direct um, communications with visitors every year. So that's more than just a hello um, when we're on the beach, but we, we are pretty certain we have probably um, to the tune of about, uh, you know, 800 thousand to a million visitors wow. annually to this area. Yeah,
0: I believe it. Um, it's a very popular yeah. spot. <laughs>
2: yeah. Those direct visitor interactions are only during low tide. We're only out at the rock during low okay. tide. Um, so it's either you know two hours or eight hours and sometimes it's twice a day. It varies with the tide, um, but those are again, direct visitor interactions. Um, so we've never done just like a kind of count and tried to average it. Uh, it's more of for us it's important to know exactly how many people we're interacting with and educating mm-hmm. um, but I know there's some local organizations that do more of those estimates and state parks to some of those estimates yeah, and that was mainly to give
0: listeners an idea if they haven't visited Cannon Beach or um, you know are new to hearing about it and learning about it to give them idea of just how popular this place is because we've mentioned it a few times in this conversation Um That, you know, it's so iconic and people go there for so many different reasons. And, um, you know, you have all this incredible wildlife that lives on the beach and around the rock and on the rock and um, Mm -hmm. at the same time is interacting with, you know, so many people and trying to be like mindful (laughs) of what our interaction is um, with the beach and with the wildlife um, when we go there. Mm
2: Yeah, and so we use a lot of signage and some light ropes, and again, just having educators on the beach and and educating in a really positive way. We didn't always educate in the most positive of ways. Um, it, it really h- is hard sometimes to to be a positive educator when somebody is climbing on a rock slash prying a dying sea star off the rock slash. <laughs> It's like digging through something. if they're animals and they're alive yeah. and you want to protect them. You're like, them. don't touch that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you don't want to say that. You don't want to make them feel guilty for their just.
0: Curiosity. Their, yeah. Them
2: genuinely not right. knowing that those animals are alive. Um, but but anyway, we we see a number of different animals on the beach. We have our, you know, Western goals. Our, they're sort of like a hybrid western um sort of like glaucous wing <laughs> california gull <goal laughs> hybrids now um not entirely sure but they're they're pretty geographically specific to the area and then seasonally we have of course the, of course the tufted puffins mm, i love puffins um, which which to intentionally to our own horn <laughs> this is really the last n- large nesting colony of tufted puffins in the pacific northwest um, besides alaska there is no other large group or colony of puffins and do they colonize um, right in- on the rock Yes, they do. So, um, they come back to the same, to the rock every year, um, to pretty much the same burrows that they dig. They dig up to, you know, set, six, seven foot deep burrows. Um, they'll come back to that oceanfront property. I always tell visitors it's the most expensive oceanfront property. Um, cause you know, like in front of the yes. rock, those are like $10 million homes.
0: Um, Very exclusive. <laughs> yes.
2: yes. Um, but so having those tufted puffins here um i think really managing um the natural area in a positive educational way making sure or ensuring that um people know that they're not supposed to be climbing or impacting this environment and how they can do that in a positive way learning to experience nature in a positive way um you know teaching visitors how to touch an anemone Without telling them you're not allowed to touch them, but showing them rather, this is how you can touch a tentacle, as gently as you would touch your own eyeball, (laughs) no practice required, um, is more important than just telling them no. Um, Telling them that this is an animal, that it'll touch you back, it'll shake your hand, this little anemone, Um, it'll grab you. Those are stinging paralysis, but don't pay attention to that. Um, (laughs) Anyway, um is is more important um and really shows that we um i think it is reflective in our our pretty healthy um ecological area and the puffins nesting there is showing that it is a relatively healthy um good place to nest you know they opt into breeding they can opt out of breeding and they have at many other locations there's only a couple of pairs along the rest of the Oregon coast Um, you know, a few pairs uh, along the Washington coast. Um, There's, there's a handful of them along the Washington coast, but there's no large colonies. So um, while our sea stars are still not doing great, um, and we've been trying to, you know, work with the scientists um, and, and learn more, and we're, you know, we participate in different citizen science surveys every month doing sea star survey. Um, It is really beautiful to see that our our puffins are, are at least stable right now. <laughs> Their numbers really should be in the thousands, um, if not more. And about five years ago, in the decade before that, they dropped to uh, you know under a thousand, and and had been steadily dropping to where in the last three years they've been in the 50s or so, and um, we've sort of we've seen that number be steady and last year i think we had like 55 and we were really stoked about <laughs> it but it's also really sad that we're yes. so excited to have five more puffins when that number should be um, much much larger and and in oregon we can't even have the dialogue about protecting the species you know putting them on a threatened list or an endangered list um, even other animals like the marble marlette who are are i mean if there are so few of them left when there should be thousands of these birds and they're probably and in why can't
0: you have that uh, conversation in oregon is it because it's more of like a federally listed threatened and endangered species no, or
2: so statewide we can list the species as well uh, federally federally we don't even we're not
1: even <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we, we, we won't um, go there yeah state, <laughs>
2: But statewide, um, we had thought we had um, we had been participating in doing some advocacy to get the marble merlet listed as a threatened species um, or uh, uplisted rather as endangered um, from threatened. And uh, we thought we had been, you know, that is passed through ODFW and um, most, you know, seabird specialists and biologists had thought that was um, a relatively sure thing just based on their numbers. I mean, <laughs> just their numbers alone, um, and seeing those numbers decline. And then there was one hearing out in eastern Oregon, and they just decided to reverse their decision, and it was no longer it was no longer uplisted. Mm. And yeah. we're, we see that a lot in Oregon, and. Oregon is very conservationally minded but we have a long ways to go and we have a lot of work to do and it's okay that those failings happen because you can see you know where 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 we weren't doing enough Mm -hmm. where we weren't providing enough education where we weren't following through and we can make those changes in the future to still protect these animals um but it is a lot it's very very difficult more so than I, I think people realize to get any species protected even if it's on the brink of extinction um that it's so difficult for scientists and educators to make that change because we are not flush with cash yeah (laughs) yes that's
0: true it is all about the dollar (laughs) yep
2: so um yeah, anyway, <laughs> that was kind of a digression. But uh, these animals, you can, I think even in this area, just north of Haystack Rock, um, you can, marbled Murlet, uh I believe are nocturnal. I don't know my marble merlettes that well, but I know that a few have been spotted just north of here. I don't know if they have been in the last few years, but um, you can catch them like right at sunrise or sunset. Um, I have never had the opportunity to see one, but which is just a great time
0: to go out on the beach anyway, regardless of <laughs> yeah. if, if you yeah. see them, you know, you'll, you, yeah. you'll at least yeah. get the sunrise or sunset and probably see a wide range of other really cool animals and, and different yeah. things. Um, yeah. so I know you mentioned that you and your colleagues and fellow interpreters out on the beach, um, are really making more of an effort to be inclusive and stay positive in your your um, communication and interaction with visitors to the beach. Um, so while you're doing that, what do you hope that visitors take away from their experience after visiting? Oh,
2: that's a big question. Sorry, it's such <laughs> a loud Um, I think we all really... We hope, we hope that they care a little bit more. We hope that they learn one little bit of information that they tell one other person and then that person tells one other person and that person tells one other person. We hope that they learn something that could potentially change the way that they participate as a human in this world, honestly. Um, we truly hope to Create positive change. We hope to make them care, to give a fuck. Yeah, like that's what we want. This <laughs>
0: should be a bumper sticker. That is
2: what we want. Yeah. Um, and it's it's not just for us personally. It's because we see these animals suffering, these this ecology suffering, and then we see local industries suffering, our fishing communities suffering. We we want positive changes so many of us as humans go through so many things you know young pregnancy ms all these different things that people go through um in life but we can choose to still have a really happy productive positive life and 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 that's what we want to accomplish um you know and and we want to do it in a way that is kind <laughs> and and we all have days where it's just like oh we, it's difficult um, But it's never impossible, and and I feel like everyone on our team feels that same way, is that it's never impossible to talk to anyone um, about this beautiful place, Mm -hmm. and we can always do it in a really positive, kind, meaningful way.
0: Especially Um, if you're able to get them out and directly connecting with it, you know?
2: Yeah, and they already are, so we have a captive audience. Yes. So no. yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. While you're here, yes. <laughs>
2: While you're here. You came here for
0: a reason. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
2: Let's tell you why. So it's as simple as that. It's um to get people to care. Yeah, so
0: now that our listeners uh, have heard this fantastic conversation <laughs> and they all give a fuck, how <laughs> – how, can they get involved with your work and help your work?
2: I think anyone can get involved from anywhere that they are. If you're near water specifically, um, if you're near the ocean, volunteer at an organization that's ocean related, Um, learn a little bit more and you'll discover a million other ways to learn and grow and give back. Uh, That's the best advice that I would have. I mean, and even more broadly in this bigger picture of life, (laughs) I would say invest your time wisely. Invest your time in things that feel meaningful. Um, But specifically, if you want to volunteer for our organization, You can volunteer at The Rock, even if you're just visiting once. If you know you're going to visit in five years, let us know. You can come volunteer or you can come learn or you can come grow or you can read our educational materials online and talk to one other friend about it. But do something that resonates, that feels right, that feels good and feels like, you're giving a fuck.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so you guys all, I, th- I think from seeing photos online, you guys mm-hmm. are all wearing, is it red jackets when you're out yes. there? So you're yes. easy to find if you are visiting Cannon Beach and would Definitely. like to have a conversation with one of these interpreters.
2: Yep. And Normally we have these big annoying smiles on our faces because <laughs> we genuinely love what we do or we just found like a new chitin that yeah. just struck our
0: interest. Well, it's a not an annoying <laughs> smile unless you are just like actually a miserable person and are annoyed by someone exactly. being genuinely happy. Then you should probably check in with yourself and wonder why someone smiling is bothering you so much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. That's so yeah, true. but yeah, we're we're out there really to answer questions, and um, anyone can approach us. People love asking when the tour starts. And we, we have private tours all day, <laughs> pretty much every day Mostly during low
0: tide. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but no, you can ask an interpreter and they will spend however much time um, that you really ask of them. Sometimes if it's really busy, if there's like a good 500 people out there, it might not be a very long tour. But, um, you know, they'll stand there and talk or, or lead you throughout different areas and other people might come too. Um, but they'll talk about any of the ocean vertebrates and any about ocean health about ecology about how um, our local ecology has changed or how what what good things are also happening in our our local area like with the puffins or that we're seeing some juvenile sea stars coming back um, or that you can come find an alabaster nudibranch in the secret location at the needles if they really like you Um, (laughs) (laughs) but but, yeah, you can always talk to an interpreter at The Rock, and they'll they'll lead you. The more you're interested, the more they'll be even more inclined to, like, take more you Yeah, you'll, like, feed off of each you. other's
0: energy. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Exactly. Um. Yeah. So you definitely inspire us. And if people were not aware of, of this program or you before listening to this episode, I'm sure that they are feeling refreshed and inspired from this conversation as well. Um. And, you know, a huge thank you to you for all the important work that you're doing. But I'm wondering who and what inspires you. Like, were there people in your lives that were really inspirational? Um, or I know we've talked about a few moments that have brought you to this path that you're on. Um, but do any any are there any people that stick out?
2: I have really weird inspirations. Yeah. I think –
0: Well, we know that Charlie Prybon is one. Yeah,
2: (laughs) Charlie. (laughs) Yes, there you go, Charlie. Um, uh, uh, Growing up, this is a really weird inspiration, but I grew up and my room was just full of Beatrix Potter. Um, Just everything Beatrix Potter. I love Beatrix (laughs) Potter. Um, As this sort of almost botanist, naturalist, um, you know, curator of art and literature. Um, I just loved that. It resonated so deeply. Um, my daughter's middle name is B after (laughs) Beatrix Potter. That's great. Um, I was just being inspired by kind of the literature and, um, reading and learning and Thoreau and Frost, um, for those, or those to me, um, those authors and, those artists have been really inspirational. Uh, we have a lot of local artists as well and authors that are just so beautiful in what they do. And in all of those things that we failed to describe, Jenna, <laughs> they're, they're like, they're masters so at it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're oh, like, they're how do you so do that, exactly you like beautiful. sorcerer? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you're like, yeah, that one, that's how I feel. That yeah. beautiful thing. <laughs> Um, and then it makes you feel even more deeply about communicating with others because that's a lot of what we do is trying to communicate with others, um, about this environment. Um, and then so that's sort of my, I take a lot of inspiration from authors and from artists. Um, and then my other one is from, is, this is sort of a broad thing, but from the very, um, kind of negative, I would say negative, um dark elements of my life mm-hmm. the different things that I've been through personally and that I've seen um, that others have gone through and um, and seeing how I transform and how others transform and choosing to live an even more deeply positive life <laughs> um, where you care even more because of these things that have happened to you that are totally out of your control but you choose to move forward um intentionally like with intention to make positive changes in your life and in other people's lives and and specifically in the ocean environment um and a number of people that I've worked with um one of my biggest inspirations has been uh our education coordinator Lisa we like did not we were totally butted heads when we first worked together and it was just very difficult and both of us were coming um from some very big life changes that had happened and, um, there's more to the story, obviously, <laughs> but, uh, we, we were over able to overcome like our differences and we are we are we are best friends. We are more than coworkers. We are, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And that's good to be friends with your coworkers. Yeah, if you,
0: if absolutely. You I feel like um, I've like always developed friends with my, <laughs> friendships with my coworkers. And sometimes, yeah. you know, I think okay. that, you know, we live in a world that is very polarizing right now. And yeah. Um, yeah. I think it can be easy to stick to groups that you feel comfortable with and ha- can have easy conversations with. But I know that this is true for yeah. my life, um, and it sounds like you have had a similar experience where some of the most important people in my life, uh, in my life, in terms of people that I care about or people who have forced me to grow are people that Mm -hmm. have, you know, drastically differing worldviews than I do. Um, and it's through having those conversations that maybe are a little bit uncomfortable and not easy. Um, you know, you come to a place of meeting in the middle or learning something new. Um, so I, I, yeah,
2: (laughs) yeah, that's exactly, (laughs) we, um, in my is the first time in my personal and professional life um, where both of us, um, Lisa and I, made the decision to instead of stay where we were or to be angry or upset, we chose to grow and to overcome um, those differences or those obstacles. And we have the most beautiful friendship, and it is even deeper. Than a friendship that I could have ever hoped for. Um, and then working with her professionally, it's, it's just brilliant, um, to see the way she's grows and she inspires me or, or I sometimes get to inspire her. (laughs) It's very few and far (laughs) between those times, but, um, it's, it's really wonderful. Like going, just doing that intentionally having that type of intention and choosing, um, to do something purposefully and that we both love and meeting, not even just in the middle, meeting in a different realm, (laughs) meeting in a different realm um, and, and, and caring about one another. Yeah. um, On that deeply, in that deeply human way. And then seeing what we could do as a team Mm -hmm. to make changes and give tools to other people to grow. um, And then the changes that we can make, Um, enabling people to learn and grow and care about this environment at the rock and to learn and to speak in scientific terms. Oh, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. (laughs) That response
0: was beautiful. It was was so good. Um, Because there are so many things that are going to happen to you in your life that you just can't control. But what you can't control is your reaction to it and how you move forward. Yeah. So I thank you for that. Um, and as we wrap up, I am wondering if you have any advice for our listeners or any other parting thoughts.
2: I think my advice at this point in the conversation is to go through life intentionally and make choices that deeply resonate um, and specifically Make those choices about the ocean, <laughs> so that Zena and I still yes. have jobs. <laughs> no, <it's funny. laughs> Give us money, yeah <laughs> uh, Exactly. And stop using plastic. No, yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: and stop using plastic. But people will get there on their journey if you if you start being more intentional, um, being more aware. <laughs> Historic Rock Awareness Program. That's what we do. <laughs> but if you become more aware about what you're doing and why you're doing it, um, and make those changes for good positive solid reasons you'll learn more about why you shouldn't use you know single-use plastics or or you'll understand that you know we're human sometimes we make mistakes and that's Mm -hmm. okay it's how we make changes that really matters or it's how we invest our time Um, it's how we when we go out to the ocean next time you go out to the ocean you're not just going there to recreate Maybe you go and take a look around the rocks. Maybe you go dig through the sand a little bit and find some little animals down in the sand that you hadn't discovered before. Maybe you look out into the water and look for some marine mammals when you hadn't done that before, just like I hadn't done when I was young. When I went to the beach, it was water and sand. I didn't see any animals. I saw some seagulls. (laughs) Yeah, and they were stealing your
0: lunch. Yeah,
2: (laughs) (laughs) exactly. So, you know, when you when you go to the ocean, you know, have a new set of eyes and 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 continually do that in life. <laughs> Don't ever stop mm-hmm. doing that. I mean, Charlie, just let just call up
0: Charlie. <laughs> yeah. Can questions. we give out his contact information on my <laughs> show?
2: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, just everybody channel your inner Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: yeah, How
0: are you doing. Uh, so, yeah. Melissa, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, it was awesome. It was thank so you, nice Jenna. to catch up with you. <laughs> um, and I would yeah. also like to take the time to thank the listeners. Um, and if you like what you heard and want to hear more, please subscribe to the American Shoreline Podcast Network wherever you listen to podcasts to get this and other outstanding podcasts by subject matter experts that are focused on the American shoreline. And be sure, because we live in a world where social media rules all, um, to like the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today on Facebook. Um, and on Twitter, it is um, at Coastal News. Three six five, and this is important because this is where you can interact with us and submit feedback on our shows. Um, we frequently tweet about ocean conservation issues and other random musings, and have conversations with our followers. So please find us on social media, um, and if you feel so inclined, we always appreciate. Um, reviews on our shows as well. So thanks again to Melissa and our listeners. And um, I look forward to sharing this episode with you and um, future episodes.